0: If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to finish up Mark chapter 2 and move uh, a little bit into Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in Mark uh, 2, verse 23. This is the word of the Lord. One Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, Jesus entered the synagogue and the man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger grieved at the hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how to destroy him. Amen, let's pray. Father, we turn our hearts to your word and do pray and ask that you would be our teacher that you would take what is confusing and complex and even difficult to understand at times, and that you would bring a sense of clarity, of worship, of beauty, of gratitude. Might it flow in our hearts and change us. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. They are many. I pray that you would uh, blot them out and wash me as white as snow. And I pray that for our hearers, that we would be those who not only hear your word, but are doers. And Lord, we know that your spirit alone gives life, that we are dead unless he moves and blows. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that today might be a day where some come from darkness into light. Would you do this, that your name might be glorified in Jesus' name? Amen. So, uh, if you've ever taken your stab at putting puzzles together... Uh, then you know that puzzles can be really easy. I mean, some of them, if you get them from, you know, Target that have maybe 20 pieces and they're for ages three to five, then they're like super easy, right? But you also know that some of them get really complex. The pieces get smaller. You're not dealing with 24 pieces. You're dealing with 3,000 pieces. And if you open that box and dump all of those pieces out on the table then you feel in that moment the tension and the chaos, that it's not organized, that you're going to have to sift through and sort. And you hope, right, over hours and hours and hours of work to take what is unclear, to take what is chaotic, and to move it to something that is finished, that is beautiful, so to speak. But I think when we think about the Sabbath day, as I've studied and and read uh, through the Scriptures, that in one sense, it really is like uh, the Lord is pouring out this big puzzle on the table and all of these little pieces that, that, that relate to the Sabbath, that if we sort of look at them, that, that it can be really confusing. And I think what Jesus does is he sort of steps in the midst of that and he brings a lot of clarity and a lot of beauty with respect to the Sabbath day and what it means and what it points to and what it promises And that's kind of the goal for our time this morning. I really want to sort of look at this text under uh, three headings. The first heading is this idea that the Sabbath is confusing. The second thing is that uh, you have to have Jesus to make sense of it, that Jesus alone brings clarity to the Sabbath. And then whatever the Sabbath offers to us, I want you to be, be convinced that it comes at a great cost. And so this idea of the confusion of the Sabbath, the clarity that Jesus brings with the Sabbath, and the cost of the Sabbath. That if you have been tracking with Mark's gospel, Mark talks about the Sabbath. This isn't the first time. If you turn over to Mark chapter 2, I mean, Mark chapter 1, you don't have to do it. But in Mark chapter 1, that... uh, there's a, the Sabbath day comes, right? In Mark chapter 121, Jesus goes to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And that was a really long day. So on the Sabbath day, Jesus is the first one there and and he's teaching and preaching. And on that day, a man is possessed by a demon, and D- Jesus casts out the demon on the same day in the Sabbath in the synagogue. And Mark says immediately he leaves the synagogue and goes to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and it's also on the Sabbath. And then the people hear about this, and they flock to Peter's, Peter's house, and Jesus heals people all day on the Sabbath. So this isn't Mark's first time bringing up the Sabbath day. What it's obvious is that word is sort of getting out that, that, that Jesus and these things he's doing on the Sabbath. And so you see it even in our passage. I would say that it's two different scenes. And the first scene is in the, a grain field. And the second scene is in the synagogue. And so if you look at verses 23 through 28, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and we don't know where they're going or where they're coming from, but notice how Mark says, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And so here's what happens, right? They're going through the grain fields, and here's some, I think, marking irony, that if you remember where Jesus was a few few passages ago, he was in the home with sinners and tax collectors feasting. So keep that in your mind. Then there's this question about why do your disciples feast and not fast? And then that was last week. And then today, Jesus is talking about feasting and feasting and feasting. And now the disciples are walking through a grain field. And according to Matthew, it says they're hungry. So that, that, that ought to send us, wait, wait a minute. You just said that they're going to feast and feast and feast. And according to Matthew, they're walking through the grain field and they're hungry. And so here's what they do. They reach out and they grab heads of wheat. And they sort of separate the wheat and they chew on them, right? This isn't like a full course meal. This is a snack. This is like getting some hot Cheetos between your meal. In our house, like my wife has this bowl of like cashews and pecans and peanuts and, and chocolate covered almonds. And she hates it. Like she screams at us because me and my kids, we just walk in the house. We don't always wash our hands. And we just gotta reach inside the jar and pull out a snack, right? It's just a snack. The disciples are not about to die by missing this meal. It's a snack. But notice, right, that Jesus probably gives the nod. It's good, man. Get, 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 some, get, get some grain. It's cool. And then it moves from there to what we see at the beginning of chapter 3. He entered the synagogue, and it was on the Sabbath day, according to verse 2, And this time you meet a man and he looks like your average Jewish man with stature and height and hair color and skin color. And you look at him and you notice that something is wrong, that his right hand is withered. Uh, Luke tells us it's his right hand, that it's withered. And in the Greek that it, it means dry or shriveled, which is really another way of saying that he can't use this hand that we don't know really what condition he suffered from, but but think about what this would have meant. Complete paralysis in the right hand. It would mean that there were certain jobs that this man could not do. It would mean that he probably could not throw the football with his son. It would mean that he could not stroke and feel the texture of his wife's hair it would mean that he could not hold his daughter's hand and feel it as they walked down the street. Like, that is the man. And so it just so happens that he goes to the synagogue on this Sabbath day and there is another man whose name is Jesus and he's in the synagogue. And by this time, Jesus' fame is spreading. He had just healed people, casted out demons. And so can you imagine the whispers and the stares? That's the great physician who makes house calls and who heals people. And can you imagine the man looking at Jesus, not wanting to stare because he hates when people stares at him. But all of a sudden he can't take his eyes off of Jesus. And then Jesus says, you come here. And Jesus says, stretch your hand out. And here's what's beautiful in this passage It does not say that Jesus touched his hand. It says that as this man's hand moved out towards Jesus, the hand was healed. He didn't touch him. He moved towards Jesus and instantly his life changed. He could throw a football now. And he could walk down the street and hold his daughter's hand now. He could go and get a job now. That this man's life changed in an instant. So surely nothing will ruin this day. There's a theme here. The disciples reach out their hands to grab food. This man's hand is stretched out towards Jesus. And did you notice what happens? A small need like a snack between a meal or a greater need like a hand that is paralyzed that Jesus meets both needs. There is no need too small for him and there is no need and deep longing too great for him. He meets them both. Now what can mess this up? Well, when you keep reading the text, The Sabbath police, and I say police, I don't know how y'all say it. We grew up saying police, right? The Sabbath police was on full effect. The Pharisees. Does it strike you odd, right? Look at what Mark is saying, that as they were going through the grain fields, look at verse 24 of chapter 2, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, and then when he gets in the synagogue, the Pharisees are there as well, and they wouldn't even open their mouths when, when Jesus asked them, is it lawful to heal or to kill? And, and, and he was upset at their hardness of heart. Does it strike you odd that they're like the police on this day? They're following Jesus around. He goes into the grain field, and them are following Him. He goes into the synagogue and they're following Him. Do they not have anything else better to do with their day than to make sure that Jesus is dotting every Sabbath I and crossing every Sabbath T? That you're getting at the pinnacle of some conflict that's brewing right here. Now, I think it's a really good question, I don't think their question is far-fetched. I think their, their hearts are hardened, and therefore they're blinded to the beauty of what Jesus is doing, but do not throw out their question. Now, why would this question be a valid question? Because what do we know about the Sabbath day? That it's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. On that day you must do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant. Not even your animals can work on this day. And this isn't just sort of a a set-aside law right? This is a part of the moral code. You would not say it is okay to lie. It is okay to steal. It is okay to commit murder. Well, guess what? Those are all under the second table of the law. The first table of the law teaches us how to love God, and loving God had a lot to do with what you did on the Sabbath. And so we ought to at least feel that, man, this is a valid question, because it's in the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath day. The other reason it's important is because, have you noticed, you never hear about what Jesus did on a Wednesday? <laughs> or a Tuesday? Or a Thursday, right? Like, the, the gospel writers, they don't tell you what day it is, but whenever he did something on the Sabbath day, it's in the… So, so you, you, it, it, here's the thing about Jewish culture. They numbered their days of the week around the Sabbath. So Sunday was the Sabbath day plus one. That's how they named it. It was the day after the Sabbath. Well, what was Monday? It was two days after the Sabbath. What was Tuesday? It was three days after the Sabbath. Their entire calendar was around the Sabbath day. That's important. And then you read Numbers 14, a man goes out, Numbers 15, he goes outside and he starts to pick up sticks and it's on the Sabbath day and the people go and tell Moses and Moses goes to the Lord and Moses says, Lord, what do we do with this man? And the Lord says, you stone him. You're like, whoa, dude, he was just out there getting sticks, right? He is out there picking up sticks and you're going to stone the man and all of Israel had to pick up stones and stone him. Why? What about Isaiah chapter 1? The Lord says, I hate your Sabbaths, right? And he kicks them out of the promised land because they desecrate the Sabbath. What about Nehemiah? When Nehemiah and the exiles come back, To rebuild the city of God, Nehemiah sees the people buying fish and trading in the market outside of the city on the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah says, if you don't stop, I will put my hands on you. You hear that? And he shut it down. Y'all don't come back here on the Sabbath. We're locking the city down on the Sabbath day. And so... It's a valid question. And so here's what the rabbis did. Because of all of this biblical history, they came up with the oral law or the Mishnah. And it was written by 120 rabbis over the course of 130 years, five generations of rabbis who took parts of the Old Testament and they wrote a commentary If you want to keep the Sabbath, this is our chapter on how to keep the Sabbath. And in that chapter, there were 39 prohibitions, things you could not do on the Sabbath. And then one scholar says, hey, each 39 had another 39 subheadings under it. So you're looking at 39 times 39. That's fifteen hundred and twenty one things you could not do on the Sabbath. For example, how far could you walk? There was a, a lot of distance you could walk on the Sabbath. You could write, but you could not erase on the Sabbath. You could tie a knot, but if you tied a knot with two hands, you're profaning the Sabbath. Now, where, I know, right? Why are they doing that? Because on the one hand, the Sabbath is serious. And what they're trying to do is to guard Israel. And to guard themselves, we serve a God who will have us stoned if we transgress the Sabbath day. And I think that needs to wash over us because we live in a culture where we don't know how to rest and we don't shut down. And we work seven days a week and we will work and work and work and work and work and, work and built into the economy of our humanity, right? that God commands, work six days, do your work, but the seventh is a day unto the Lord. But that's the confusion, that they're seeing Jesus pluck grain, which according to the Mishnah, you don't do on the Sabbath, and they see Jesus healing a man, which according to the Mishnah, you don't do unless the person is about to die. This man is not about to die. And yet Jesus heals. Confusing, right? Like, wait wait a minute, who's in the right here? I see all of this stuff in the Old Testament. Who's right? Well, we know Jesus is, right? That's the right answer, Jesus. And so then we move to the clarity of the Sabbath that only Jesus can give. That if you've ever done puzzles, then you know what it's like to have missing pieces that you can't find or they get on the floor and it's impossible to kind of make sense of what you're doing without it. And I want to make the case to you that the Sabbath day works the same way, that we can get close to approximating what it is, but you cannot completely grasp the weight of it unless Jesus is at the table. And that's what you see Jesus doing, right? that we start to see what are the missing pieces. The first thing that they are missing is Jesus's power. What gives Jesus the right to tell them they can eat? And what gives Jesus the right to heal this man? Notice what Jesus says in verse 28. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Here's what he's telling them. This is my day. I'm the Lord of it. And you've been policing the day for me, but I don't need you to police my day. This is my day. My day. I know why it was created. I am the Lord over it. How many of you parents have had to pull the the parent card, right? Let's say you have a kid. His name is little Johnny. And little Johnny wants to go do X or Y or Z. And like, Mom, can I do this? No. Well, Why? Well, because of this. Well, mom, can I do this? No. Well, why? Because of that. Well, mom, can I do this? No. But why? Because of that. And at some point, mama has to pull the parent card. No. Well, why? Because I said so. Right? Right? And you're in the right. You're the parent. They are kids. You don't always have to reason. It's good to reason, right? Reasoning is good, thinking them how to think critically, but here's the thing. It's OK to pull the parent card because I said so. That's what Jesus is doing in the passage. I can tell them to eat because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath because I said so. What? Right. I can heal a man on the Sabbath because it's my day. What? Right. That, that's you got to read that that Jesus is claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. It's his day. So they're missing his power and authority. The second thing they're missing is this biblical precedent that notice Jesus' response. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful? And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did? So right there, Jesus appeals to Scripture. He says, look, if you would open your eyes and go back and read Scripture, you would see that what is happening here, it's not the first time it's happened. And Jesus points our hearts back to 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel 21, David is running for his life from Saul, and David has forgotten his sword, and David does not have food. And so David goes to the house of the Lord, and he goes to the priest. He says, what do you have to eat? And the priest says, all I have is the bread of the presence. And that is not regular bread. That's the 12 loaves that went into the holy of holies that Israel had to put out once a week, 12 loaves for the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was the holiest piece piece of food in the temple. And they had to put it there. And that bread was changed one time a week. And it was the night before the Sabbath, and new warm bread would be put out, and the only persons who could eat that bread, it was the priest. And so you have David with his men coming to the temple, or coming to the the, the house of God, and they're hungry. And the priest is like, yo, I can't give you this. This is like holy of holies. Are you guys pure? Are you unclean? I mean, are you clean? And he says, yes, yes, yes. And the priest goes on to do what? He gives David the holiest piece of bread in the house of God. And David eats it and gives it to his men. Now, Jesus is making one of two statements. He's either saying someone greater than David is here. If David could go into the house of the Lord and eat the bread, then why not my man? Or that Jesus is saying someone is greater than that priest who gave you, David, permission. I'm a greater priest and I give my disciples permission to eat this food on this day. There's a precedent already in Scripture. That's what Jesus is saying. Then Jesus moves to the purpose of the Sabbath. In verse 27, he says, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not designed, as Shelby just prayed, to be so restrictive that it was just, you just hated to see it coming. It was not designed To be this thing that you loathe, God actually created it for the good of mankind. God actually created all things we see in the space of six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. He looked back at creation, and it was complete, and it was beautiful. And God makes man in his image to be holy and to be upright and to flourish. And he tells man, my desire is not to work you into the ground. My desire is for you to set aside a day for me to work on you for me to serve you, that you're going to live in a broken and fallen world and you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And I have inaugurated this day to be the day of healing and restoration for your soul. It's like a car. We know that you cannot drive a car into the ground. You can't just drive it and 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 drive it. You got to stop and change the tires. You got to stop and gas it up. You got to stop and let someone change the oil. You have to pull it off the road so that it will be serviced. And what God is saying in the mystery of the Sabbath, you go and you work and you work. But pull in my son or my daughter and let me repair and replenish and fix you. This day was a day meant to reorient and repair and restore. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're missing the purpose of the day. And finally, Jesus sees the picture that they don't see. That, you know, when you're doing puzzles, That one way to put it together is to get all of your perimeter parts, everything that has a straight line and fill it out from the outside. Then you might look at everything and color code it. If it's green, I'm going to put the green pieces there. But did you ever forget that the best way to start the puzzle is to look at the picture on the box? (laughs) The picture on the box helps make sense of this chaos and the case that Jesus is making i have seen the picture of true sabbath i know what the box looks like and i know what you think it's up to but i've seen the picture on the box and the picture on the box of true and real sabbath is absolutely beautiful only Jesus was there with the Father before all time. Only Jesus created all things, all things created for him and to him and through him. Only Jesus was there when God says, let us make man in our image. Only Jesus has seen what the world was like before sin crept in. Only Jesus knows what it was like for them to dwell with God and to walk in their midst. And only Jesus knows where Sabbath is going From the book of Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66, and in Isaiah 65 and 66, Jesus says, "'The new heavens and the new earth I will create.'" Former things will no longer be remembered. Joy and gladness will last forever. No more shall be heard the sound of weeping. No more shall be heard the sound of distress. No more shall a young woman die. No more, no more, says God. And on top of that, he says, the lion will lay next to the lamb. The wolf will, will, will dwell in our midst. And in other words, what you're seeing in Isaiah 65 and 66 Is this true Sabbath, this Sabbath that Isaiah says, Wolf and lamb shall graze together. No one shall hurt on my holy mountain. From Sabbath to Sabbath, they all will worship me. You get that image? That Isaiah is giving us a picture of the new and final Sabbath. And guess what is not going to be a reality in the new and final Sabbath? There is no hunger. Food will be in abundance. And there is no one with a withered hand will all be restored and healed. And there is nothing such as death. It will be swallowed up. And there is nothing uh, uh, that will cause us to be sick. There is no more dying. And here is what Jesus is doing. Because he knows where all time is going, because he is the Lord of the Sabbath, When you take Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, and you transport him right here in Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3, how do you think Jesus is going to behave? Do you think he is going to behave any differently than from what this final Sabbath will be? And so when you put Jesus right here in the grain fields and his disciples are walking, there is no more hunger in the new heavens and the new earth. So eat and eat well. And guess what, my beautiful son, there is no such thing as deformity and deformed hands in the new heavens and the new earth. And all you got to do is move your hands towards me and it's healed. Jesus didn't even touch him. He just moved his hands toward him and he's healed just like that. Why? Because you've taken the Lord of the Sabbath, and you put him right here on earth and everything he touches is Sabbath. And that is good news. Here is why. We are Sabbath breakers. And not in one way, but in two ways. We are Sabbath breakers Because we don't rest We are Sabbath breakers Because we care more about Who's winning the football game right now Than engaging with the Lord We care more about getting our day And week started for next week Than we do about resting in the Lord Right here and right now We break the Sabbath because we're half-hearted Sabbath creatures. And we also break it the other way. We're not Sabbath givers. We don't image the new Sabbath. And here is what you see Jesus doing. Did you notice where Jesus is every Sabbath thus far in Mark's gospel? Where does he start his day? in the synagogue you catch that? In our passage right here in verse three, he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. Go back over to Mark chapter two, Mark chapter one, verse twenty one. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue that Jesus had this practice of having his heart so bent and so fueled and so ready to worship the Lord that he is breaking down the door to be there and commune with God on the Sabbath. And you would find Jesus where? In the grain fields, the other place, giving mercy, spreading shalom. And here is what Jesus is saying. I am the true keeper of the Sabbath both ways. I keep it with my devotion to the Lord. I never get preoccupied in work that is not related to the Lord. And my heart is so moved towards mercy that on the Sabbath, I give it. And here is the good news for you this morning. Jesus attends to the smallest need, hunger, between meals, and the greater need of a man's hand that does, does not work. Do you believe that Jesus and the Sabbath that he is bringing, that he will attend to your small needs and your great needs and your greatest need. That there is not one right longing that you have in this life that Jesus says I will fix it on that day. And so I know a lot of you come in here with mental illness. You wrestle with anxiety and you battle depression. That Jay-Z says, it's sunny outside. Why does it always feel like it rained on Jay? Some of you, the sun is shining and you don't see it. There's a cloud of depression and darkness over you. And Jesus says to you, I'm going to drive it away one day. The light's going to break in. You will not always struggle with this. And some of you struggle with sexual brokenness and it feels like a bear on your soul. And Jesus says, one day, one day, you will not struggle with this. And some of you, you loathe the political system that we're in right now, and you're ready for the day when the government of the world will be on the shoulder of Jesus. And he says, I promise you, that day is coming. Don't lose heart. And some of you struggle with I don't know where the next meal comes from. And I'm choosing between paying car insurance or feeding my family. And I'm not making enough and life is hard. And Jesus looks at you and he says, I see you. And I know it's hard. You hold on, you get connected, you let people love you. And there is coming a day when you won't struggle there's coming a day when you won't need money. There's coming a day when you won't have to worry about where to get food from. Does some of you struggle with looking in the mirror? Am I good enough? Does God love me? And Jesus says to you, there is coming a day when you will not see me by faith, that you will see me by sight, and I will make all things new. That's the beauty of the passage from small need to greatest need to the salvation of your soul. Jesus says, I will not leave one part of your life unredeemed. And here's the good news. It's not just in the future. It breaks in on the Lord's day. The reason we don't keep Sabbath, strictly speaking, is because Jesus was in a grave on the Sabbath. And Jesus was resurrected on the day after the Sabbath, the first day, the Lord's Day. And we stand and live within that rhythm. And every day the Lord's Day comes, it is a reminder to you, your Savior has retained you. That every day you come here and lift up your voices and sing, you are silently protesting against, you are actively protesting against the lies of the enemy. That every time you hear God's word preached and read, God is slowly orchestrating and moving you to this greater Sabbath that awaits all of his people. And it's ours to foretaste right here and right now. And some of you deal with physical illness that there have been people on our prayer list who've been on here for years. And one day, little Lydia is going to run and dance and make a joyful noise to the Lord because Jesus is going to fix not just her soul, he's going to fix her body. Do you believe that, that when you take Jesus and put him in real time and space, he gives us a foretaste of what life is going to be like, and that is ours, and you can give Sabbath. You can open your home, and you can give people who are struggling a foretaste, a glimpse of the future to come that you can adopt and you can take people who are unwanted and you can bring them into your home and you can give them a foretaste of the world to come. They are not unwanted. They are deeply loved. That we get that privilege to receive Sabbath and to give it. And what you see in this passage is that it comes at a great price. That right after this, Like they go and they conspire to kill Jesus. Look at how the text ends. Like the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And they started that plan to crucify the Lord of glory right here in this text. That he was not a Sabbath breaker. He was a fulfillment and giver of Sabbath. And yet the scriptures say he was treated like a Sabbath breaker. That his disciples were hungry, and on the cross, Jesus says, I thirst, and he was not given good water to drink. That this man reaches out with a hand that doesn't work, and on a cross, Jesus' hands had nails driven in them. That this man's hand was withered and dried up, and on the cross, Jesus dies. Now, why, why, why is that working that way? Because the Sabbath that we get, it is costly, it is costly because we're Sabbath breakers. And what Jesus says is that there is not a payment that I will not render to give you the rest that I want to give you. That was an expensive snack. And that was an expensive healing. And our salvation is expensive. The life and death and resurrection of Christ. And so the invitation for us then, beloved, is to receive this and to rest and to celebrate it and to image Sabbath all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the goodness in it. Thank you for these promises that we have that you are and will make all things new. Help us, Lord, to center and to stop and to reflect and to ponder and to rest that you were treated as a Sabbath breaker, that we might enter your Sabbath forever. Help us, Lord, to to do this and to believe this. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen.